Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she, as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Cyrene, Phine. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bed and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Um, Mark 7, we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark as we keep our eyes on Jesus through a turbulent time, post-COVID, post-lockdown, all that kind of good stuff. This side. That's right, this side. Okay. And that's what we're trying to do. So uh, where are we? We are in Mark 7. What are we missing? We're missing parts of Mark 7. We're missing out some bits each week. Um, I comment on those in the Watford Word edition, which you've got scattered around and is also in the Google Drive folder. Anybody who didn't get it, let me know and I'll send it to you. So we won't be going over that, except to say that the rest of Mark chapter 7 before this is about what's pure and what's not pure. What's defiled and what's undefiled? He talks about food that goes into the body. That's not the issue. It's what's in the heart. A famous passage for many of us uh, who studied the Bible and became a disciple is Mark 7, 20 to 23. From within, out of men's hearts come all these sins. So this is the, this is the thing Jesus is dealing with, is how do we define or who defines what is pure and what is impure? And after a lot of teaching here and things going on, we have this story right after it. And there's a, surely a connection here uh, between uh, what he has been teaching and what's going on here. Where is he? He's now in Tyre, and there's a map on the, on the handout there. And Tyre is a place that's effectively outside Israel. So he's stepped outside of the main part of Israel here to another essentially Gentile area. You may remember he did that when he went to the Decapolis, which is a mainly Gentile area. He's done this again. And indeed, Tyre is not just a Gentile place, but when you look at the Old Testament, you discover there were many problems for Israel connected with Tyre. And indeed, uh, historians of the day describe the uh, people from Tyre as Israel's bitterest enemies. So this is a Manu fan wearing a Manu top in Liverpool. This is what it is. Bitterest enemies is what's going on here. Now, before I go any further, what strikes you from this passage that's strange that you, you have a question about? Martin? I think Jesus' response, uh, first response, uh, first episode, okay. if, if you didn't know about this passage, you'll think Jesus would you know, answer perhaps a bit more sensitively and say, no, tell me what like he did other places. He was, yeah, what, what, how can I help? What do you need? What, and yes, even when he was in the Decapolis, which is a Gentile area, he didn't deal with the demon possessed man there like, like this woman. So, a bit strange. Anything else? Um, demon Yeah, what does it mean? That it's, it's, I mean, initially, it's described as an impure spirit in verse 25, and then it's defined as a demon in verse 26 and 29 and 30. So it seems a bit strange for, for many of us. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> yeah. 
like, you know, it's, yeah, you say it's not white to take your sons, but because he's a dog, you know, you are a dog. Sounds like it. Sounds like you're a dog. He's calling her a dog. I don't know about you, I don't think I would appreciate that particularly. Um, interesting. Okay, so let's talk about a few things we see in the passage and then see what might uh, be useful for us. So I think when he's been teaching on impurity, now how will he handle an actual case? How will he handle a case of <laughs> impurity? So he goes to this place, to someone's house, we don't know who, and it says he did not want anyone to know it but he couldn't keep his presence secret. Why couldn't he keep his presence secret? Well, partly because, I mean, he was doing awesome miracles and wonders, but also because back in chapter 3, we find that people from that area had already uh, encountered him. Uh, that's in Mark 3 and around verse 8. Around, where are we? Around verse 8. People from all around that region, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. So these people, people from that area, had already encountered Jesus, knew something about him. So he gets away, but isn't able to uh, have that peace and quiet. How does it feel when you're looking for peace and quiet? You feel you need peace and quiet, and, some, and you go somewhere for peace and quiet, and then somebody interrupts you. The phone rings, somebody comes in wanting something. I mean, it's a really annoying feeling, isn't it? Especially if you're tired and frazzled. So that may be how Jesus is feeling. We don't know for sure. The woman comes, on with a, comes in with a, a mix of urgency and desperation and humility, falling at his feet. Who does that remind you of? The lady that was bleeding, desperate. Yeah. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, yeah, yeah. Son? His daughter was ill. You're right. Yes. Jairus. Jairus, from what, two weeks ago or something? He came and fell at the feet of Jesus. So here we have, we have a synagogue ruler at the feet of Jesus, and now we have a Gentile woman at the feet of Jesus. How does Jesus handle these things? Well, um, it appears there's a lot of uncleanness going on. So in this situation, in this um, scene, what are the issues of uncleanliness going on? She was a Gentile. And he was Jewish, and right. He indicated that in Jews first. Exactly. So you've got a, a, a Gentile woman. When it says that she was a Greek, it doesn't mean she was necessarily from Greece. That's a term just meaning a non-Jew in that context. So a Gentile is exactly... She's a Jew, she's a Gentile, she's a pagan. That's one thing. What else? There's at least two others, I think. When you say a dog, probably a sinner. A sinner? Could be. So maybe she's a sinner. Several people that came to Jesus were people who were definitely identified in the culture of the day as, oh, there's a sinner. Maybe. Okay. What else? Uh, well, her daughter, uh, her daughter is possessed by Okay, so if, she, if the daughter is possessed by an impure spirit, and she's obviously been in contact with the old impure spirit with her daughter, then she's impure, right? Again, a bit like the old COVID stuff at the moment. You know, if you've been in contact with somebody, you've got to isolate whether you've got it or not. So, okay, we've got that. We've got maybe one more, I think. One more. The sort of thing that's not meant to happen in that culture. She's a woman. She's a woman. Sorry, Alexa, you're right. In that context, 
Particular, women didn't talk to men in public, but in particular, a woman would never be seen talking to a rabbi or a rabbi type in public. So you've got all these things, and it's a Gentile area. So the area, the fact she's a woman, the fact she's a Gentile, the fact that she's in touch with some impure spirit, all of these things are counting against her. Against her encountering Jesus, getting a hearing from Jesus. And I think this is helpful and instructional for you and me to recognize who we feel um, are beyond us. They're not like us. They're different from us, different culture, different background, different religion, different denomination, different experiences. It challenges whether we're willing to encounter and dialogue with and make friends with people who are very different from us. And some of us might find that easier than others, right? It can be hard at school, uh, uh, teens, you know, that... It's, if, you're, if you stand out as different at school, that's, that's usually not a good thing, unless you're super cool, which I'm sure you teens are super cool at school. But uh, I speak for myself to say that I wasn't. And if you stand out, it's awkward. It's, it's a strange thing. Jesus loved the awkward people, and he reached out to them. Anyway, this is what's going on here. Now, we get into the meat of it, so to speak, or at least the, the bread and the crumbs of it, because... She has a question. She wants her daughter healed. And Jesus gives this very interesting response. First, let the children eat all they want. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What an interesting thing to say. <sighs> Ideas? Why would he say such a thing? He welcomes everybody. The sinners, even the demons. He didn't welcome the demons, but he welcomed the person in whom the demons inhabited. Why, why give this kind of response? What do you think he's saying? What is he trying to convey? Because I can see in the background, and they're not mentioned, but I, I'm sure the disciples are there, and I can imagine them nodding their heads. Yeah, yeah, don't give that bread. Don't give that bread to these dogs. They'd be nodding their heads, right? Yeah. Um, is he saying that um, sorry, let me find my words. I'm sorry, take that, your time. Uh, the dogs are different to humans and that they're just creatures that live, pick up litter from the ground and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So what's the point in feeding them when they feed themselves and stuff like that? Well, they, yeah, when they feed themselves, when they take responsibility for themselves and they have their own way of doing things, perhaps. Yeah, Joe. Maybe um, he's just checking if she's serious about what she wants. Is she serious? Don't we do that with our kids sometimes? Our kids, they ask for something, and then we say, you know, are you sure you want that? Why do you want that? And we, we check, you know. And we say, well, you know, if you save up your pocket money, and we're checking how much they really want it. Perhaps that's something like what's going on here. Mm. Simon? The children are the Israelites. Mm -hmm. The patriarchs, the Abraham. The children are the Israelites, yep. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and it's the religion as well, you know, and the Gentiles being the dogs are kind of like their enemies, you know. Mm -hmm. that sense. They are, in that sense, yeah. Pen? Thanks, guys. See, great minds thinking alike, live, broadcast to the world. Um, okay, other thoughts? Other ideas? What's going on here? What's Jesus trying to achieve with a reply like that? Martin? Uh, in some ways, to draw her attention or the, or the attention of people around her to the fact 
fact that this is <coughs> this is not his core purpose, mm. but uh, that she's actually asking him to do something exceptional above what his main goal was. Yes, he's pointing up the fact that this is not how things normally work, and it's not currently the focus of his mission. Because he doesn't say that the dogs are never going to get some bread. He doesn't say that. He does say first, which is interesting. First, until they're filled. Right? Reassuring them and perhaps reminding his disciples as well. Okay, I've got a mission to, to accomplish, and after that, we, we, we see this, of course, but they couldn't see it. We're, we're looking at this from the other side of Pentecost and the resurrection, but they couldn't see this. It's like, well, there's going to come a time when could be part of what's going on here, but I've got to deal with Israel first. The kingdom's got to come here. I've got to get to that cross in Jerusalem and then be raised. So maybe there's something else going on there. You've got to think about how awkward this must have been for, or unpleasant for that, that, that lady though, right? You know, the idea of, of saying, well, I guess, I, I'm, I guess the crumbs might do is what she's saying. I think she's actually being very humble here and saying, I'll accept the crumbs. Which is uh, quite something, you know, when you think a full meal might be available. And so I wondered, you know, if I were to offer either my uh, homemade cheddar sandwiches to you or some crumbs uh, that I found on the floor, I wonder, in fact, I think what I might do, let me divide up the room into dogs and children. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's, that's what we should do. So you can be the children. Is that all right? And, well, I think I have to let Mulligan go with you, with you, with, with your mother. I don't know, Kaiser, which where you are. He's leaning towards children. So um, I'm just going to put this in. Now, uh, if you want a cheese sandwich or part of a cheese sandwich, you can have it, uh, depending on your own willingness to accept any COVID issues. All right, that's up to you. I did wash my hands before making these, but uh, you know what I'm saying. It's your own, at your own risk. So I'm just going to. Put these here if you would like them. And that's your bread. And here are the crumbs. For, uh, for anybody that would like a crumb, fancy, uh, fancy a crumb. Uh, a, look how generous I'm being, Steve. I mean, it's free. You know, it's free. And uh, it's gluten-free bread, by the way, in case anybody has a gluten issue. I made sure of that. And it's also a vegan spread. Uh, because, you know, yeah, what do you think, Bill? If you like. <laughs> If you like, you could take it home for the for your family later, if you want. <laughs> hey, 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 hey! You're not one of the children. What's going on? One of the dogs. I don't know. Cheeky, very cheeky. The crumbs, or better than nothing. Better than nothing. Hey, to honestly, actually thinking about this. To a starving person, a genuinely starving person, it's a genuinely starving person, they might blow it up, blow off the, do their best to blow off the fluff, right? But to a genuinely starving person, this would be like a banquet. 
And I think Jesus knows that all the woman needs are the crumbs. And she knows all she needs are the crumbs. And Jesus says, okay, crumbs is what you need. Crumbs is what I'll give you for now. It's, it's a crumb to the, or some crumbs to the Gentiles as a whole, you might say, this one, one person. But it's actually, a, it's a strange incident, but it's in its own way, it's a very beautiful incident because it shows us Jesus, you might say, bending his theology, stretching his theology because of compassion for somebody in need. And she's saying, look, I only need a crumb. I'm not going to deflect you from, from your main mission to Israel. That's fine. But a crumb will do. And Jesus says, well, it's not what I would normally do, but I'm going to make an exception because of, well, it's love, isn't it, is what's going on here. He said he was trying to draw her out to see what she would say. I think it's possible. Yeah. yeah. It's possible. <coughs> she's, um, she's very humbled here. And she calls him Lord, which is... In that culture, that's much more than just sir, which was what you'd normally have a Gentile might say to somebody, sir. But she says, Lord. She knows something else is going on here. She's encountering somebody who's different, might be able to help. Um, there's no compromise to the mission. It's just an opportunity through her humility to see faith rewarded. And that, I think, is what God wants us to see. Ultimately, humility Faithful humility is rewarded. That's what's going on on here. Jesus accepts her reasoning. Isn't that quite strange? He accepts human reasoning on a, on a certain level. And that makes me think about uh, my prayer life. What's my, do I talk to God in a reasoning kind of a way? There's a, there's a time to just worship God for who he is. And I, I try and make sure every day I spend some of my devotional time just reflecting on who God is and offering him thanks and praise for who he is and his generosity. But then at the prayer lists we all, most of us tend to have are perhaps prayers in, in reasoning with God. Not, I think, that we change God's mind exactly. And who knows how this mystery works? We think about Abraham praying and talking to God about Sodom mm -hmm. and, and, and coming down from 50 down to a smaller number. And you could look at that as God, as Abraham persuading God to act in a certain way. I, I don't think that's the core of what's going on there. I think what Abraham is doing is in reasoning with God, he's understanding, he's revealing God's heart to himself. He's understanding what God is thinking. And that, I think, is at least part of the purpose of reasoning in prayer. It's not so much to get God to do what we want him to do by our powers of reason, but more to discover what God is going to do. And as the woman reasons with Jesus, she ends up discovering what he's willing to do, what he's actually capable of doing. <coughs> so I think as, my, as I pray, say, for my son Fred, who many of you know and has been through a few challenges, as I pray for him, I pray certain things for him. I pray he'll get a job, for example. I pray other things. But I think as I pray for him, part of the purpose of praying for him is to understand how God feels about my son, how God thinks about my son. And I think that helps us because it's not then it's just a dry thing. I've got my prayer list. Let, me list. let me tick off the things I'm praying for. Have I prayed for that tick? Have I prayed for that tick? Have I prayed for that tick? It's not... And I'm talking about something that's rather mysterious. I'm not suggesting I fully understand this. But I'd like to encourage us to think about the purpose of reasoning in prayer with God being to enable us to discover God's will and more of God's heart and mind. 
We know more of God's heart and mind because the woman reasoned with Jesus. And so did she, and she discovered more of his power. So let me wrap up with a few thoughts about applications here. What might be applicable, and what's applicable for you or for me might be different, but some thoughts that come to me from looking at this amazing passage. Firstly, um, how interruptible are we for the work of God? How interruptible? Uh, I have my diary. It's pretty full, right? Yours probably too. But how interruptible are we? Jesus had a purpose in going to this house that we don't know the exact purpose, but he had a purpose. He was interrupted. And this happens again and again through Scripture. He gets interrupted. He's going somewhere. He gets stopped. He's planning something that gets compromised. That's not to say that we always have to give in to whatever interruptions come. But it is important to evaluate whether an interruption is from God or not and not dismiss it because it's inconvenient. Life is pretty inconvenient. Um, people turn up in our lives in inconvenient times and places. Uh, last night, uh, Penny and I were having dinner, and uh, that's quite precious time for us. I don't normally answer the phone, but the phone rang, and I could see who it was. And it's somebody who has a, a lot of needs at the moment, not in this congregation. Um, and I looked at Penny, and she saw who it was, and she looked at me, and she went, she just nodded. And so I answered the phone. And we talked for a few minutes, and this helped the person, and then we carried on with that dinner. And I didn't want to answer the phone. This is my point, <laughs> right? I don't like interruptions when I'm with my wife and we're having dinner. I, I wouldn't normally interrupt it, but I felt on this occasion I needed to. It was right. Check the penny first, of course. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, don't phone at dinner time. Don't phone at dinner time. Um, so, but I think it's worth reflecting on how interruptible we are. Secondly, um, how open-minded are we about the ways in which God works? God works in strange ways, right? Uh, the pandemic, I don't think, was caused by God, but God used it. A lot of people have become Christians because of challenges to do with the pandemic. We had people connect with our congregation while we were online that never would have connected. God's at work, even in these awkward frankly, very annoying circumstances. Uh, Zoom ended up being something valuable to the kingdom of God. Who knew? And still is, I think, in some ways. Uh, Desmond, and, and thank you so much, Leon, for sorting out how we can be broadcast live. This is something we weren't doing two years ago. Uh, it's bringing a blessing, I think, to a, a lot of people. Um, I think about the fact that God has brought us, uh, Raymond, you and your family, and Dele and his family in uh, Milton Keynes and Hatfield, two places we wouldn't in this congregation necessarily have thought about connecting with. But God has connected us. So what is God's purpose in that? There's something going on. And frankly, of course, the West Watford free church situation. Not something we chose or tried to make happen. It's happened to us. It's a little inconvenient, uh, but confusing maybe. But maybe God's in these things that we wouldn't otherwise expect to work. And the third thing I see is tough love. Uh, I think Jesus, in questioning her, it sounds insulting. Well, actually, I think it is insulting. <laughs> I think it is. But, but he's, he, for some reason, it's the loving thing to do. And sometimes questioning somebody or engaging in a difficult conversation with somebody in tough love is actually the way to show them love. And maybe that's something for us to reflect on. 
I hate this stuff. I'm a conflict avoider. But now and again, you've got to have difficult conversations. Are there any we really need to have that might end up revealing God in some way through the fruit of that? So, Acts 21. Flip with me over there and we'll finish here. And then Steve's going to pray for us before we take bread and wine. And in taking the bread and wine, what we're doing is we're remembering the heart of Jesus, that he loved all kinds of people, like us, like other people. He loved the Syrophoenician woman, and he healed by his power, healed her daughter. And we're remembering his power and his love as we take bread and wine and the cross. But let's look at this for a moment here. In Acts 21, and it's part of the journeys of Paul, and picking up in verse 2. Acts 21, verse 2. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way, all of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went on board the ship, and they returned home. Not so many years after this incident, there's a church there. Many brothers and sisters. And we don't know whether this woman was part of that church exactly or not, but it does show that the early disciples following Jesus understood the gospel was to go to all these places. And not that long later, there's a church. And don't you think the story of the Syrophoenician woman was one they told over and over again in that church? You know, before the church was here, there was, there was Gladys. We'll call her Gladys. There was Gladys. And, and, you know, you remember what happened to her? And look, here's her daughter, uh, Bernice. We'll call her Bernice. Here's Bernice, you know, and she had a demon and she was impure, but Jesus came. And, and then many years later, someone came to teach us more about the resurrected Jesus. And now we have this church. I, I'm speculating a little bit, but, but you never know what God's going to do with these strange things. And the cross was pretty strange. A king on a cross. A strange way to have victory over sin and death to go to a cross. But that's what we celebrate when we take bread and wine. Steve, would you like to pray for us and then we'll take the bread and wine?